0: Thank you for tuning in to Adversity University, and welcome to class. Hey everyone, it's Sean. Garrett and I just had the opportunity to interview a couple of my old friends, Mark Reepy and Newman Arango. They were equipment managers for me back when I was playing junior hockey in Texas, and they've both gone on to do pretty impressive things. Newman is now working in the MLB for the Texas Rangers, and Mark is working for the Hartford Wolfpack, which is one level below the NHL. So. Hopefully they can both make it to the peak of their profession. And we hope to give you guys a bit of an insight into sort of the, the scenes behind what you see on the, on the ice or on the field. Garrett, what did you think about today's interview?
1: Yeah, I thought it was cool. Uh, you know, you mentioned it during the episode. That was kind of our first group uh, meeting. And I thought it was interesting because you get, although they have similar professions and basically, in my opinion, the same being an equipment manager, no matter what team or sport you do it for, but it was cool to kind of get two sides of the coin. You see two different paths to, to get to where they were. Um, and some key things that they talk about getting there is just kind of networking. Uh, I think you have to be a, a certain type of person and a different breed to be an equipment manager. You have to love being at the rink or being at the field, being around a team sport. Those guys are there all the time, 24-7. And, you know, we talk about it, but I don't think that they get enough credit. I think that they are, you know, what makes teams revolve and continue to be able to perform at high levels all the time. Um, and from an outside uh, outsider's perspective, uh, like I said, I don't think they get enough credit and I think that they do a heck of a lot more than uh, someone would assume.
0: Yeah. You mentioned that uh, networking is really important and Newman had a great quote, who, you know, gets you there, what, you know, keeps you there. So, you can get those opportunities through networking, which is obviously so important to get your foot in the door, but you got to work hard and really be good at your craft. And these are two guys who are some of the best.
1: Yeah. I think that uh, also, you know, for someone to be able to go out and put their name on the line for you, you know, speaks volumes about who you are too. I don't think a lot of people are just going to go out there and name drop someone and put their name on the line. Uh, just because they feel like it, or just because you want them to. I think that ultimately it boils down to being a good person, a hard worker. And I think that that's why they got their name dropped and they ultimately earned their opportunities. And it's cool to see them succeeding and uh, flourishing in in their position.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And they were a little camera shy to start. Like you said, it was our first group interview. So they kind of didn't want to step on each other's toes. And we kind of had to nudge them along to see someone to answer first. But you know, once you get off camera with these guys they're they're nonstop. You can talk to these guys all the time. They're great dudes and uh, really fortunate that I was able to meet them. Let's kick it on over to Mark Reapy and Newman Arango.
2: Monument Hockey Academy provides the highest level of developmental training available today. With intense focus on individual skills, including skating, stick handling, shooting, game awareness, and competition, MHA offers players the opportunity to take advantage of up to 15 hours of on and off ice time per week to continue their personal development outside of team-specific training. Our coaches bring Tier 1, college, and pro experience and are trained in the latest and most cutting-edge programming in the world. Our academic support staff provides guidance and coaching with a variety of educational platforms, including including online, in-person, and hybrid models, while ensuring students' NCAA eligibility from middle school through graduation. At MHA, our goal is to provide an opportunity for every player to reach his or her maximum potential, both on and off the ice. For more information or to schedule a visit, go to monumenthockey.com.
0: Today's guests are a couple of the unsung heroes that make the sports world revolve. The first guest, Mark Reapy won a Robertson Cup in 2016 17 in junior hockey with the Lone Star Brahmas. Then he moved on to work professional hockey. He was awarded the SPHL Equipment Manager of the Year in his first season. Since then, he has moved up two leagues and is working next season for the Hartford Wolfpack, which is the affiliate of the New York Rangers. Our other guest, Newman Arango, also started with the Lone Star Brahmas. He was one of the first members involved in a hockey company called Verbero and has since shifted his talents from hockey to baseball, and is now working for the Texas Rangers in the MLB. Boys, thank you for joining the podcast.
3: Thanks for thank having for us. Asking. It's an honor.
0: It's funny, Mark, you're working next year for the Hartford Wolfpack, and uh, you and Numi actually made a little bit of a Wolfpack in junior hockey. You guys <laughs> remember
3: that crew? Oh, yeah, the marination station, boys. Yep. Yeah.
0: One of my favorite pictures from that time, uh, you can see the paw print right there front and center and Numi got us those sweet shirts.
3: Oh yeah. Yeah. A lot of the guys with the paw print on the skate.
0: Yep. Yep. I think I still have those skates. Those are some of my favorite ones. You, uh, you drilled holes through the toe cap and stitched it together with yarn or something. My dad likes to call it the Franken boot. Got the job done though.
1: So how did you guys get exposed to and fall in love with hockey in a non traditional hockey market like Texas?
4: Well, uh, for me, it started, I think whenever I was two, my mom, uh, worked for a company in Fort Worth, Texas and, uh, their bosses, uh, had suites to, I think it was the WPHL at the time, the Fort Worth fire. And, uh, nobody wanted to go cause who goes to hockey games in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, and I think this is in 94, 95 area. So, uh, she was willing to take me, uh, it was something to do and after I saw my first game, I figured there's nothing ever going to be better than that. So I've been in hockey ever since. Well, at least until now. But
0: Mark, how about you?
4: Uh, So for me, my mom and dad both
3: played hockey growing up on the East Coast. Um, And then uh, I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, played a lot of roller hockey. And uh, didn't really have much interest in ice hockey until middle school. I started playing that, not as much as roller, but just kind of casually. And then um moved to Texas and um ice hockey was surprisingly pretty big down there at the time this was 08 09. so um there's you know the stars opened up a bunch of uh star centers down there and each uh each team or each rink obviously had a travel team um up to the double a level and then uh they had stars elite there I was never good enough to you know scare out those boys but uh um Just kind of grew right into it, I guess, uh, with, you know, my parents both playing it.
0: So when did you guys realize that you wanted to stay involved in the game long term and become equipment managers? And how did you start learning, like, the nuance of all the tricks you need to effectively do that position?
3: Um I think it was probably after high school. Um, I kind of realized that I wasn't special enough to go play junior hockey somewhere and then go get a D1 scholarship. I was never that good like uh, Sean Giles, but
0: uh, I, uh,
3: <laughs> but, uh, I uh, you know, actually met a friend through Newman that was an equipment manager and kind of sparked some interest. And then Newman started doing it and I kind of followed path that way and um, you know, I think for a lot of kids nowadays that, you know, don't have the opportunity to go and play, like there's other jobs in hockey. Um, you know, I think a lot of people, it's almost like, you know, kids that don't get accepted to college. Like, you know, there's trades. And, you know, I've always been real good working with my hands and whatnot and, you know, became a quick learner. And then when Newman uh, made that shift uh, from Odessa to the Brahmas, it was, uh, it was nice to learn a lot from him. You know, it's a different world on the equipment side rather than, you know, just showing up to a game, getting dressed and playing
0: hockey. Numi, same question for you. How did you get involved in the equipment side? And Mark said he learned from you. Who did you learn from?
4: Uh, I learned from the other friend that he's referencing, our friend Corby. Um, and that's pretty much where it started for me. I, uh, you know, I was a rink rat growing up. I loved playing and hanging out at the rink every summer, whether it was drop-in hockey or some, a skills class or anything um so to cover my ice time fees or even just uh with my mom not being able to pick me up every day I'd uh, end up in the pro shop hanging out in the rink every day so learn to sharpen my own skates and do rivets and all kind of the little basic things like that and you know once you start learning how to do stuff yourself you don't really want anyone else to do it anymore and then you learn the intricacies and I'm, I'm sure Garrett can understand uh, like how specific goalie pads are or even your first pair of custom skates Sean like Once you kind of realize what you're doing and how much better you can make things rather than just an off-the-shelf item, it does become kind of a special thing. And unfortunately, it's not something I ever got out of.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure if Garrett's uh, even comfortable bringing this story up, but I know that he had a little experience being an equipment manager for a little bit of his time at Mercyhurst.
1: So this is a – I guess we'll dive into the story. (laughs) Not many people know about this, but um, Mike Folga at Mercyhurst Uh, was unfortunately diagnosed with cancer. Uh, So he was going through chemotherapy, um, and he unfortunately lost his battle with cancer after a while. But Coach Gottkin's son played on the team, and he he didn't really play. He would just practice. Like, great guy, great locker room guy, was there for school. It was my redshirt year, and it was, like, the first weekend without Folks, and it was just him by himself. So I was like, I'll do whatever you need to help. Like, if I need to run to the grocery store and get snacks with the boys, like, I'll do it. Um, and he was sharpening skates, and Les Lancaster was probably our best defenseman that year, one of the best defensemen, Uh, and I grabbed his jets, and I was sharpening them. I was like, yeah, I sharpened sharpened skates before because I had. They were probably like public skates, but um, (laughs) so I throw them on there, and I end up burning the blade. Like, you can't really fix that. Like, I I really messed it up, and Brennan was like, man, what are we going to do? Like, freaking out. Didn't say anything. I'm not even kidding. I, I think Les had a hat trick that game. He scored the game winner <laughs> in overtime, and we just never told him, that I completely <laughs> obliterated his face.
0: And this wasn't just any game. This was, you know, Mercyhurst, a smaller school, going to play Wisconsin in their barn.
1: <laughs> oh, man. They went out. Didn't you upset them that night too? Yeah, I don't know if it was the Wisconsin weekend. I think it might have been the weekend before, because I think we were, we were playing at home the very first game that Folgs was gone. Um, and it was the next weekend we went to Wisco, but it, it was our secret. We didn't tell a soul. <laughs> Until now. Oops. Cat's out of the bag now. But Newman, uh, how did you not
4: only switch sports from hockey to baseball, but also immediately start at the highest level? Uh, as much as I'd love to tell you, it was hard work and determination and, you know, doing everything the right way. It was uh, a little bit lucky. Uh, it was actually another hockey connection. Uh, One of my friends that I grew up uh, hanging out with and playing with, um, his dad, I guess, ended up going to high school with uh, the head guy for the Rangers. And uh, I had mentioned to him that I was looking to do something different, uh, just try something out a little bit. And they just happened to have an opening. So he was able to get my resume in front of him. And luckily, I did the rest from there. And it's been pretty good.
0: I think there's two things that go with that, though. You know, you got to make your own luck, obviously. Um, you had a bit of a hockey resume and I I still go to you guys this day when I have hockey questions like you guys are unreal at what you do you're great to be around and also networking is so important you know you got to go out there and make connections and you're a great example of how that's helping you out today
4: yeah I like to you know the old saying is um, who you know gets you there and what you know keeps you there and it's true I mean there's so many people that do the right thing and work hard and I think anyone in a successful spot will tell you, you know, there's a little bit of luck involved no matter what. So once you get there, you just got to hope you do the right thing and work hard and hopefully stick around. I'm sure there's
1: different tricks too. Like you said, learning rivets and sharpening skates. I'm sure there's different things in baseball. But in my opinion, equipment managers as a person or people and the character that they have, I feel like that is universal no matter what sport that you're in. I feel like, I mean, obviously they're the first ones at the rink. They're the last ones to leave. They help you with anything. And I think they go unnoticed a lot, especially to people that aren't around them. If you ask, you know, parents about equipment, they're probably like, yeah, they're there. They buy the equipment, all that stuff. But you guys are really the thing that, that keep us on the ice or keep the baseball players playing. Um, and I don't think you guys get enough credit in my personal opinion.
0: And as much as you're around the boys and like the coaches, you're around the equipment guys and the trainers just as much. And I've been in situations with unbelievable equipment managers and trainers, like obviously at their jobs, but just guys too, like they're part of the boys and that makes it so much better because the entire environment around the rink is always good. Whether you're on the ice with the guys, you know, if you need something fixed, you're not like nervous to go ask them to help you because, you know, they're kind of miserable about their job. Like you know you have a good relationship so it's easier to go in there and then same thing with the trainers if you're doing rehab after or something it's always way better if you know they like to joke around and have a good time too and you guys certainly do <laughs> so Garrett did bring it up but a lot of people outside of sports probably underestimate how much you do for a team could you take us through a typical game day routine uh Ripper we'll start with you in hockey
3: um so like this past season um Usually get there right around 6.45, 7 o'clock in the morning. Um, We were lucky enough not to have a full team morning skate. Um, Our coach doesn't really believe in it. Not doesn't believe in it, but just, you know, wants to save, conserve energy, long season. So uh, I'd get there. The guys that aren't playing or the guys that are hurt would skate with our skills coach and our easier assistant coach. So I'd get there, um, hang jerseys in the stalls, you know, fold some towels um we got breakfast served us every day we you know eat some breakfast and then uh by that time we're done guys are trickling in the whole team still had to come in for a meeting so honestly like the morning of game days kind of relaxed compared to other spots um you know we just kind of guys at that time would you know hey this didn't feel right the other day in morning skate or the, the other day in practice you know can we you know fix this you know the shoulder pad feels loose you know small little repairs you know or uh just kind of touches, you know, you still have the guys, like I said, they'd come in for the film. So, you know, everyone's there, everyone's come in, say hi, you know, joke around, keep the mood light. And then guys leave after uh, the meeting. And then as the meeting's going on, uh, those guys are getting bag skated. Usually those guys get off the ice. And then uh, um, those guys get off the ice, you start laundry. Um, Most of the time, the visiting team, is already there. So once they're done, the visiting team gets on the ice and then you want to get the laundry done as fast as possible. So, uh, the visiting room equipment guy, we supply with, um, can get their laundry done, um, before the game. Um, and then honestly, once laundry's done, jerseys, socks for the game get put up. And usually it's a lot of, a intense ping pong before lunch. Um, and then, uh, you know guys start showing up we had guys show up three hours before the game you know they're coming in like you said not even that they're injured they're just coming in to you know get loose you know they're in there in the gym kind of stretching out rolling out you know doing all these different things you have a huge staff so you know there's two equipment guys two trainers two strength coaches so you know there's a lot of a lot of people in there you know utilizing everyone's time and then game happens After the game, sometimes we'd have to pack up and immediately leave and hit the road. So on a game like that, we'd, you know, make sure all the trunks are stocked and, you know, loaded on the trailer. So as soon as the game's over, we're really worried about just taking bags. And then games where we have, you know, two home games in a row, we're more so worried about getting laundry washed and, you know, ready for the next morning.
0: You skip by the game really quick, but I think that you guys have to be really dialed in. I know uh, as soon as a stick breaks, you're you're
3: on it. Snap
0: of a finger, there'll be a new one reaching over the board.
3: (laughs) Yeah, luckily, uh, um, that wasn't me this year. Um, I wasn't on the bench. I was right behind the bench, so that pressure wasn't on. But uh, typically, yeah, you know, you're not even watching the game. You're watching... uh, you know, the play develop, you know, looking for the, on the power play, you know, looking for that guy on the far side, looking for the one timer, you know, those guys are usually prone to snap, you know, as many sticks in a season as anyone. And uh, yeah, usually, you know, during a game you're watching for, you know, stick breaks, you know, guys lose an edge, you're going to go in the steel pouch and, you know, get their steel ready. Cause you know, they're going to come to the bench immediately and want those swapped out and then go and sharpen that pair.
0: That's uh, a lot. I can't believe you get there that early, 6.45. That's crazy.
3: Um, yeah, I know. I didn't, <laughs> never would have thought my alarm clock would be going off that early. <laughs> but,
0: <laughs> Numi, you told me you have some pretty long days, too. What's it like uh, working with the Texas Rangers, usually?
4: Uh, long days, yeah, but luckily not quite as long as Rippers. Uh, the hardest thing, I guess, for us is just the succession of days. I mean, obviously, this year's different with COVID, But in a normal year, I think they play 162 games and uh, just shy of 180 days. So it's pretty much nonstop every day. There's something going on, at least at the team's home. Um, Most of our work, uh, even what Mark's saying, and I'm sure Mark can attest, uh, if you're doing a good job, most of the time your work's kind of done behind the scenes, usually at night or in the morning whenever no one's around. And then once the players are in, it's kind of sit around and wait, just be available if they need anything. Um, luckily, uh, for baseball, there isn't as much equipment anymore. So, uh, that's a a typical game day. I'll probably get there around 10 to 11. Um, honestly, for those guys, the most important thing of the day is they eat. We give them four meals a day. Uh, there's a full kitchen, dining room, everything. Uh, so you just kind of make sure things are out and available. Uh, the guys will eat, you check for packages. There's always something new coming in uh there's a barber shop in the stadium where they can go get their haircuts there's uh, a bank where they can cash checks like and then especially this year with the new stadium kind of showing them around where everything is and some guys will ask about shadows or weather or wind direction it's just kind of letting them know uh how this park plays
0: wow so obviously Garrett and I are hockey players so we know how often hockey sticks break I actually have probably about 60 in the basement with you right now might make a little chair. I know you guys make some artwork with those, but, uh, new how many bats does a player usually go through in a year? If you had um, to estimate.
4: Yeah, it depends on the guy. Um, a new thing a lot of guys are doing is they're kind of buying their own because they want to control of themselves. Um, but I'd say the typical guy goes through around 20, um, not anywhere near as much as sticks.
1: This profession has a lot of upside, including remaining with the team and in the locker room environment, but it's also been tough at times. Newman, why were you unsure if this could be a career for you?
4: Um, it's just, uh, it's a little bit of a different job. I mean, whenever you meet people and they ask what you do and you tell them, uh, no one quite understands what an equipment manager is. And, uh, the simplest way to put it would be that you do laundry, but, uh, I think we all know you do much more than that. So it's, uh, it's kind of an interesting thing. And then sometimes the pay's there, sometimes it's not. And, you know, there's long hard hours and you give up a lot to be committed to something like that. Um, so sometimes if you're not seeing the reward on the other side, you know, it just makes you think, is this worth it? Or is it time to move on to something more typical, like a desk job? But, uh, luckily I haven't gotten there yet. And I enjoy being part of something, you know, bigger than just yourself.
0: It's definitely special to have that opportunity and you've probably met some really cool people. We're hoping to interview one of your, uh, one of your current players, Josh Jung, he'll hopefully be coming on in the next few days. Has it been cool to meet those type of, uh, you know, elite athletes?
4: Yeah. Yeah, it definitely has. It's, uh, uh, I've met some real interesting people. Um, you know, the guys I expected to meet like, uh, Mike Trout and Aaron Judge, you know, your players, but, I've also had uh Jason Aldean come through, Kane Brown. I met Paul McCartney last year. Um, so it's pretty cool. You just uh every day's different. You never know who you're gonna see. Um, so it's always interesting. So
0: do you help out with concerts as well or are they there to watch games?
4: Uh the Paul McCartney I was helping out with the concert, uh, and the Jason Aldean as well. But we'll get celebrities that come through to watch games every now and then. Uh, Jamie Ben comes in a lot. Uh, Dak Prescott's always in. Uh, those guys are baseball fans, so.
0: Nice. Mark, you also weren't sure if this could be a career for you. Can you tell us about the journey of getting your first job with a professional team?
3: Yeah, no doubt. Um, so like Sean said, my first uh, four years of my career spent in my hometown in Texas uh, working for the Brahmas. Um, I kind of had a five-year plan if I didn't kind of have anything happen after that fifth year I was gonna kind of find a different way and um when Newman and Corby started doing the Verbero thing um I tagged along with them and went to this big conference um it's called a uh, Fats Femme it's all the professional hockey equipment managers trainers strength coaches let's get to, it's a week-long convention and uh I went there and saw how big the uh I guess the the pool is the networking of equipment managers and I'm on the very bottom. I'm not even working pro hockey at this point. And uh, there's a few different jobs Um, that the one specifically that summer was uh, San Jose in the American league. And uh, I I didn't get that job because I didn't have the pro experience. And after that, no job, all that, that kind of fell through. And they were looking for someone that had, you know, the pro experience. And at that point, I'm like, "This isn't worth it. Like, I just wasted four years of my life. No one's gonna look at. Like, no one's gonna take a chance." And uh, the only other teams that were offering were USHL teams. And yeah, it's a higher level of juniors, but junior hockey, to me, is kind of a step up, unless it's or, uh, it's a uh, not really a step up. It's unless you're working major juniors. And uh, I actually filled out a couple of different apps applications with uh, like FedEx UPS kind of like bigger companies where I could build a career there and then uh one day I was working uh just at the rink um and uh the coach for Peoria on the SP called and was like hey we've heard great things we want to take a chance and I said yes didn't even ask <laughs> didn't really ask much about pay or what was going on and just kind of went with it and haven't really looked back I was luckily you know Built a career from there. Not even, not even the whole season there. I got an opportunity to go to Maine for the following season. Um, go to Maine, and then Maine. Our affiliation is was with the Rangers. So all the guys that were under contract that got sent up and down were were from Hartford, and I got to know the Hartford staff unbelievably well. And uh, they had an opening this past season, so I made the jump, and now
1: I'm here. I know uh, Cart- or Coach Armstrong very well. What do you think of him?
3: Uh, O'Reilly is an awesome guy. Uh, I actually talked to him this morning, um, but we're, it was uh, you know like, kind of like Newman said, you sacrifice a lot. I, you know, my friends, my family at the time, girlfriend, fiance, now wife was all in Texas, and I moved to Peoria, and then I moved to you know Portland, Maine, and you know you build that family with you know the people around you. You know, it's a lot of long hours. You know, like you were saying, first one there, last one to leave. And, you know, luckily, I spent a lot of time with Riley. And, you know, I went over to his house all the time. And him and his wife would cook dinner and hang out with his kids. It was awesome. He's such a good guy.
1: Yeah, he's an unbelievable guy. And I'm fortunate to know him. And he reaches out to me uh, every once in a while. It was funny because he was playing in Utah at the time before he started his coaching career. Yeah. Um, And Tim Branham in Utah was his coach. So I got to know Tim and – Riley really well before he started. Um, and it's cool to see him make his mark and make his way as a head coach.
3: Yeah, it's uh, definitely, you know, he's uh, he's an unbelievable coach. He's for sure a player's coach because he, you know, he played, made, you know, luckily not as, uh, didn't spend as much time in the National League as his brother, Colby, but, you know, got his sniff and he has the, you know, he has the experience and it was awesome. You know, he, you know, we had a good season, unfortunately didn't didn't make playoffs had a few you know call-up issues and guys getting hurt but uh I think he's an unbelievable coach I just think it's a matter of time before he gets his shot you know at the next level
1: for sure you have to tell him I said hello I absolutely will so Numi, going back to you um and your playing career you suffered a very uh scary injury what happened in that game and what was your recovery process like
4: yeah uh I wish I could tell you it was a game uh It was just an open hockey, like a drop-in. It was a couple years ago now. I guess three three years ago now. um, I was just kind of going to the net. I got a pass, and uh, I reached back to kind of put it in on the backhand around. And I don't know if I caught the goalie's foot or the stick, or I really don't know what happened until now. I mean, until this day. Um, But I was sliding into the boards. And you know how you put your feet down to kind of stop you whenever you're going? Uh, My skate just caught a weird way and I kind of twisted and I hit the end wall weird and I ended up fracturing my uh, L5 vertebrae. So uh, that wasn't uh, really what I was expecting. Uh, Whenever I went to the hospital after, uh, I knew something was wrong, but I didn't really know it was going to be to that extent. Um, So that kind of put me on the shelf for a while. I think I was bedridden for three months and then at home for probably another three. And then finally around the seven month mark, I was able to start going out with the back braces. I'm sure ripped remembers members and, uh, oh, yeah. trotting around town a little bit, but, uh, yeah, it was definitely a, a rough time in my life, but I'm happy to have been past it now.
0: We were talking earlier, you talked about how hard it was to watch everyone else live in their life during that time. What were some of the things you did to, keep yourself positive and understand that you had to recover now so that you could be, you know, healthy again. If you, if you rush those things, they can go back to just as bad as they were.
4: Yeah. Luckily it wasn't a, really a hard sell to tell myself to take it easy and slow. Uh, just cause you know, the back is something that many people have problems with throughout their life. So, you know, being kind of younger and having an issue already, I wanted to, really do everything I could to make sure it healed well and try to give myself the best head start for the rest of my life. Um, As far as getting through it, um, luckily uh, I had my mom and a girlfriend at the time that helped take care of me and made things a little bit easier. And I had, uh, up until that point, I had never seen Breaking Bad. So that took up a good chunk of time. I decided to give that a wash and it ended up being worth the time, but uh, it was good. And then I always heard from my friends like Mark and Corby and, you know, anyone else would always check on me and uh, give me their well wishes. So it, it was hard. It was, uh, I think I told you, you know, kind of scrolling through social media. Uh, most people don't post their lowlights on there. It's, you know, everyone's highlights. And whenever you're just laying in bed watching your friends party or go on vacation and whatnot, it was uh, a little tough. But, you know, you get through it and you move on.
0: Yeah, that's something we've talked about on here before. One of our previous guests, he called it the cookies and the cream so he talked about how you know social media it's always the best it's always the dessert the best parts of your life right you never see you never see the hard times so that does definitely make it even harder on you it's one of the reasons social media is so dangerous i love it for the sake of keeping up with people i haven't seen in a while but it's definitely a double-edged sword but i'm glad you found something to get you through that breaking bad is a heck of a show i don't think it's been matched yet
4: uh no probably not i don't know I like friends a lot, though, but different category.
0: Yeah. There's actually a lot of debate about that. Some people hate friends, and I don't get why.
4: Yeah.
3: Not a big friends guy. I'll come out and say oh, that. Oh, here we more, go. More, more of the office. More of <laughs> the
1: office. I'm, I'm with Mark 100%. Wow, 2v2. All right. Well, we can debate that later, but
0: Mark, moving away from sports, you moved from Missouri to Texas the summer before high school. And kids who have to go through this face a really tough challenge of leaving everything they know and all their friends and starting fresh with kids who already have their friends groups kind of solidified. How did this move affect you?
3: Um, it was honestly, it was crazy, you know, like going, you know, in middle school, you have all your friends, you have all these hockey teams you're playing on. And uh, unfortunately, man, with my dad's job, we had to move, um, to Texas, and like you said, didn't know anyone. And uh, before we moved as a family, he was down there, and uh, he lived close to this outdoor roller rink. And he told me that you know people play hockey there, and I didn't believe him. Um, you know, you hear Texas hockey doesn't go uh, doesn't go hand in hand. You know, they have the stars, but you're like, okay. You know, you know St. Louis. There wasn't many outdoor hockey rinks. Like, there's definitely nothing in Texas, and uh, luckily. I met more of my friends through that than high school. Um, high school is rough. You know, I was moved there. No one cared about hockey football is like a religion there, football and baseball. So I was already, you know, a northerner, you know, moving down South was, you know, strike one, strike two. I didn't really care that much about football or baseball. So I was kind of not pushed away. Like, you know, I still had some friends, but uh, definitely not uh, a popular guy or anything, you know, just kind of a quiet kid and did my thing. And, um, luckily i said i met newman and i'd skate with him and then it even came to a point where like i was just so sick of texas that i just kind of was like went back in the show and i'm sure newman will tell you i, I disappeared for like <laughs> for almost two years i didn't really uh didn't play hockey uh, didn't talk to anyone that i you know befriended there and just you know was a hardcore gamer played a lot of, played a lot of call of duty and then uh I don't know, one day I just kind of realized that I was wasting my life, you know, doing that, not wasting, but not doing anything with my life, so then I started playing hockey again, and started, uh, what's the word, started reengaging in all those friendships that I, you know, had, had and, you know, whatnot, and, you know, just kind of started playing ice hockey more, and then, you know, it's, started working in the pro shops, and learned, you know, like what New was saying, with sharpening skates, and whatnot, and then, started my career in hockey. Is
0: there any advice you would give a kid who's gone through a similar situation?
3: Um, yeah, honestly, just be yourself. I mean, I feel like uh, kids now try so hard to uh, be friends with everyone. Like you'll find your group, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, obviously with kids, you know, kind of being bullies and whatnot, like I didn't experience it in high school because I was the quiet kid. I'm sure they thought that I was going to, you know, explode one day and, you know, punch someone in the face. But, you know, I think, like I said, just, you know, be yourself, you know, be friends, you know, make that first move to, you know, introduce yourself. And, you know, you never know what's going to happen. Even, you know, you might meet someone like Newman said, you know, Newman never met or introduced himself to, you know, Jack. You know, he never wouldn't, you know, after hockey didn't work out, you know, he could be working at some desk job, you know, nine to five every day, you know, he'd hate it. So
1: So athletes have very specific routines that can sometimes involve the staff. There's videos of Victor Hedman chopping his stick down through his equipment manager's fingers as fast as he can before every game, and sometimes he hits his fingers. Uh, But the equipment manager keeps doing it for the sake of the player's routine. What's one of the strange superstitions a player has that you guys are a part of? Mark, if you want to go first. Um... There's gotta be something weird. Come on. You've been honestly, around goalies. I'm sure they do weird stuff.
3: No, honestly I can't think of uh of one we I'm I've been lucky. I don't think I've had any of those weird superstitions. Um actually I guess um last year Robbie Cup, uh Troy York would have me kiss the back of his blade before uh, the start of every period. Um and, uh, it's actually funny cause one game, uh, Dalton Skelly's mom sat, uh, and dad sat kind of directly behind the bench and saw it happen. And then like that first opening shift he scored and, uh, you know, his dad texted me after the game and was like, uh, do you want me to, you know, email the point street guy and get you the apple on that, <laughs> and, you know, that was pretty funny, but, uh, other than that, I mean, uh, there was a game in Maine. We were getting – we had no life. Um, we were playing so bad. And Riley's like, you know, fire the guys up. And I'm like, all right, you know, pretty loud, outgoing person. And uh, I, my office kind of came to where the guys would go on and off the ice. So it was like we all the guys were lining up. So I started, you know, giving everyone chest bumps you know, like, let's go, getting everyone fired up. And uh, someone's like, all right, let's give it a headbutt. And we both kind of cocked our heads back. <laughs> and we hit heads. And uh, I obviously wasn't wearing a helmet. And uh, at the time, the league was a CCM helmet. So I had the CCM helmet logo <laughs> on my forehead in red. Oh, and red. No. And uh, Riley goes, hey, you are right." I go, yeah, my head hurts. And he goes, oh, yeah, <laughs> you, you, have the, you have the CCM logo on there. Like, who'd you hit? And, you know, we were laughing. We ended up coming back and winning the game in overtime. But uh, yeah, uh, that's that mean about you had it. To do though. it every game? No, <laughs> no, I wasn't <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't risking uh, getting any
4: conkeys for that.
2: Oh.
4: Numi, how about you? Uh, nothing major. Um, I did have one player this year, uh, who I I won't name, but uh, he was batting lead off for a game. I think like the second or third game of the season, and uh, there was a list of rules that came out this year for um. COVID. And one of the things was uh, no shareables, which meant uh, we normally had the buckets of double bubble in the dugout, you know, and guys just go get gum. Um, and I guess this player didn't realize it. So we didn't have it out there. And he came in about 25 seconds before his at bat, freaking out. And he said he refused to take the field without double bubble, that he's never once in his life taken the field without double bubble. And if we didn't get him some, he was not going to take the field. So Luckily, we had it in the cabinet underneath, locked away, just because those were the rules, and we weren't supposed to have it out. But we were able to get him some to keep in his pocket, and crisis was averted that time.
0: Holy cow.
4: Yeah. Wow. The, uh, the only other thing I can think of, um, wasn't so specific to myself, but just uh, our locker room, was, uh, I don't think it was this year, but last year, uh, Mike Trout was kind of, uh, uh, I guess, just having like a hydration issue. And the trainers made him a mix of, uh, I think just water and electrolytes, but they needed a jug to put it in. So he asked for a jug and my boss got him a jug and he put tape around it just so people would know it's his. And then another guy saw it and that guy wanted one. So then he got one and he put tape around it. So now there's two jugs with tape around it. And I'm, I i do not know if you guys know, but as Mark knows, you know, player see player do. Once one player does something, they all want to do it. So once it ended up that all these guys were getting these hydration jugs, Mike took a Sharpie to his and wrote Mike's secret stuff on it, uh, kind of like an ode to Space Jam. And uh, I think he had a good game, maybe like two home runs or something. Uh, so it was cool later on that night, whenever I'm doing laundry in the locker room, seeing on Sports Center, they're talking about Mike's secret stuff and showing him drinking it in the dugout. And, you know, it's just uh, pretty neat to see something so innocent, just a guy needing a drink turns into, you know, a story on Sports Center
0: that's crazy that's so funny and one of the big parts that you guys are so important to a team is little things like that like that thing probably got him through a big chunk of the season like playing well because he had his secret stuff yeah well thank you boys so much for coming on we really appreciated learning more about it and I know that uh it's been nice for me to catch up to you it's been too long I uh,
3: know absolutely thanks for having us yeah for sure it's been a little long but We'll get there. One day uh, you'll call us.
0: (laughs) You can call me. Phone works both ways.
4: (laughs) Yeah. Thank you for having us. It was our pleasure.
2: Thank you for listening to this episode of Adversity University. You can follow more news about Adversity University on our social media pages. Our Instagram handle is Aversity underscore University. Our Twitter handle is Aversity underscore UNIV. And our Facebook page is Aversity University. If you know of any high-level athlete or professional that has an interesting story of overcoming adversity and you think they should share it, you can email us at AdversityUniversityTalkShow at gmail.com. You can also use that email if you are interested in becoming a sponsor for Adversity University. We look forward to bringing our listeners more content from interesting guests weekly, so stay tuned on social media to see who could be next and what our past guests are up to now.